0: Greetings. Greetings and welcome to the show. This is Wrong Place Right Crime. I am your host Frank Zafiro and this is an open and shut episode with Danny Gardner. Now this is actually Danny's second time on the show. Uh, he is a Wrong Place Right Crime veteran. Uh, in fact uh, he he first appeared way back in season one uh, in, the, in the second episode ever in uh, June of 2017. Uh, We talked about uh, a lot of things, actually, as a a really wide-ranging episode, Uh, but one of the topics uh, was his first Elliot Caprice uh, story, Uh, Negro in an Ofe, and he's coming on this episode to talk about, among other things, the next Elliot Caprice novel, Ace Boone Coon. Uh, now, I made no secret to him when we've spoken both on mic and off uh, that it's a little uncomfortable to, to use those titles as a middle-aged white guy, um, but, uh, you know, when you talk to Danny about uh, issues of race, it's an easy conversation to have and a hard conversation at the same time, as I think you'll see. Uh, easy in that he, he certainly uh, has respect for the people that he's speaking with and uh, for uh for people on all sides of the discussion. Um, not easy because of the topic itself and what he what he discusses. And, and so uh, you'll get some of that in this episode, and you'll get to hear uh, about Elliot Caprice's newest adventure uh, in this sequel, which is uh, published by Bronzeville Books. Now, but before we get to Danny, I do need to remind you that Wrong Place Right Crime is proudly sponsored by Down and Out Books. Down and Out Books is a mid-sized publisher of crime fiction, most of it from the darker and grittier end of the spectrum. Now, if you dig that, you can learn more at their website, downandoutbooks.com. That's downandoutbooks, all spelled out, dot com. Down and Out Books. Take the journey with us. All right, well, let's dive into the interview with Danny Gardner, uh, his welcome return to the show, and we'll see you on the other side. Well, hey, Danny. Welcome to the show.
1: Thanks, Frank. Good to be here.
0: Actually, I should say welcome back. You were one of my very first guests.
1: Yeah, yeah, I was, man. It was really cool. I remembered. Uh, it's like you're always there for me when I got a new book, man. So it's no, it was really exciting when, when we got back together I again. Mean,
0: well, if people uh, uh enjoy this interview, they should go back and check that one out from season 1 because it was a wide-ranging, long and very enjoyable discussion. Uh, <laughs> some serious stuff and some laughs as well. So, uh I'll just I'll just pimp that a little bit for for folks that want a bigger taste of Danny Gardner, but uh, for this <laughs> open and shut episode, I think we want to dive straight into the fact that uh, you have uh, recently released the second in the Tales of Elliot Caprice. Yes. Ace Boone Coon is the name of this book. And, uh, and I got to tell you, man, I've told you this off air before, so it won't come as any surprise, but... Like when you came out with the first book, A Negro and an Ofe, I was a little bit uncomfortable reciting that <laughs> title as a middle-aged white guy from the Pacific Northwest. And then you come out with the sequel, and I'm like, Danny, that's not better. That's worse. That's, that's, <laughs> but I suspect that there's an intent behind that that's uh, actually rather uh, rather smart. Maybe you can talk about that.
1: Yes, yes. Well, um, first off, man, you know, it's a lot of well-mannered titles out there and i'm trying to get noticed in life you know uh, john Lehman gardner who hailed from tacoma washington <laughs> he, he beaten every gardner male <laughs> make yourself distinct from others set yourself apart don't get caught in groups try to stand apart and so you know i these titles they come to me often in my mother's sounds in my in my mental ears And because she was irreverent and erasable and just never said the right thing at the right moment ever. Just that was my mom. And she had a powerful whiplash tongue, man. And she put it on you. And I just, I get to writing and I get to believe in what the title is. And I get to saying it's some other thing. And then my attitude kicks in. And when the attitude kicks in, I just, a theme hangs over me and then my themes have languages. And so yeah, you know, with the a Negro and an Ofe, I got a, I got a mixed-race protagonist in a mixed-race world in a crazy mixed-up city, Chicago, 1952. And he's in search of who he believes to be a white guy and a black guy who are causing hell and dropping a couple of bodies. You know, one of them even in his uncle's barn. So, you know, he's a Negro and an Ofe himself, you know, because he's half black, half white, as am I. And then you've got... Uh, uh, uh the negro and no fate he's looking for in in a, in a in a society that is inherently half black and half white regardless of whatever our population ratios are our cultural ratios are half and half and we're always locked in this janus type struggle trying to see the other side of our face it's hilarious to me at this point so it's within that comedian's hilarity i just dropped these titles and you know i knew a Negro and an Ofe was about birth and land and family. And so the admixture of black and white and white, you know, there were some more coarse terms. I couldn't use this title. So I went with a Negro and an Ofe because the Negro and, you know, these white folks would have just been a little too much space on the front of the book. But, you know, a Boone Coon was just the only thing I could title the book since it was a book based upon uh, notions of friendship and the distinctions of uh, that humans make amongst themselves when we're really from the same population centers, you know. Somehow this man's your cousin. Somehow this man's your brother. Somehow this man's your enemy. But you all grew up within thirty miles of each other for three generations. So, if there was twenty three of me back in nineteen twenty three, what kind of racial arguments would we be having today? We'd be a lot more enlightened. So, you know, it's the distinction you make is your ace boon coon. You got a lot of friends if you're surviving in these, in these places that America doesn't like to look at. But on, you know, the crime shows, and uh the only distinction you truly are able to make is who's your friend and who's your real friend, who's your best friend, and then who's your ace boon coon, who's your pride and joy, who's the one. If you only had one dime for a phone call, who you call it, and that is just the only thing that I know to call some a friend like that, you know, because it's about it's about being in uh, on the edge of the abyss. And the only thing you really got is your neighbor hold on to. man. That's what this book is about. You know, I I adore white folks. So, you know, a lot of times, you know, I love white folks like I love my older brothers growing up a little too much. I let y'all get me in a lot of trouble. And so I am always sending these love letters out just to, to you know for us to look at each other in the middle you know and i figure if i use these terms and i figure if i if i bust the speech open and if i break the wall you know I, it'll be okay for other people to relax a little bit like god yeah, a black guy doesn't seem to care if we're talking this way we could all relax a little bit no, well you know danny he's keeping it gangster so i don't have to sound like i went to college to enter this conversation danny is you know he, he keeps it loose and you know, I find myself having to, to communicate creatively to get my points across. And so I use a little pop and sizzle, but, you know, not never to inflame, but just to let everybody know we all hurting in kind of like the same ways. And, you know, we all laughing in the same ways. And, you know, that's what I, I try to get across with these tiles. I'm kind of running out of titles, though. I mean, I can't keep this up. I, don't think, I mean, these are pretty bold. They're going to taper off at some point.
0: Well, do you think that much like, uh, science fiction, that mystery is a genre where you can, you can kind of have those conversations beneath the surface and people are more willing to, you know, kind of hold them in their hands and turn them over and look at them and not just reject yeah. them out of hand, uh, like they might, if it came to them, uh, in another
1: medium. Yeah. Listen, seriously, this is uh, something I care about strongly because I came up in crime fiction supposedly during its greatest absence of equality of some sort. And um, so by the time a Negro Ninofe arrives, I'm sort of in this space where, you know, I'm standing in line behind Mosley and Easy Rawlins, you know, until forever. So that's just where I went. I write PIs, man. I write private investigators. I write... Uh, reluctant heroes. Uh, you know, I sit in the cli- in the crime spot. I sit in the hard boiled spot. And hey, man, you know, you might come upon upon some coarse conversations at a at a writers conference amongst the, the the genre hacks. But we give each other an opportunity, man. And we there wasn't this this dearth of you know. I don't know what was happening in cozies. I don't write that. I don't know what was happening in thrillers. I don't write that. I knew what was happening in private eye stuff, and I found opportunity pretty quick. And so in the spirit of that, I found myself mixing it up with folks who, you know, hadn't really considered mystery from a Black American-centered, you know, uh, 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 paradigm. And so, and they had, and they had appreciated it. And, you know, I've been here for a while now, so I have inspired some. I have inspired some raucous conversations about it. I've gotten into some shouting matches and some, some, some shoving matches over my beliefs in this area for about the past eight, nine years. And so uh, less speech is not helping. And segmenting speech is not helping. And diversity and diversion is not the problem what we have is a level of density where there's a glut of market correction with these mood swings that come from whatever the zeitgeist is experiencing. And much in the same way Hollywood wait until you have death door to give you an Oscar, crime fiction, crime fiction just decided all at once, every black person that had a point of view about writing something was getting shoved into this whole, we're sorry thing. And that's cool. I appreciate that. I got here in 2015 on the back of just hacking it out. And, you know, I spent my first voucher in a seedy motel two miles away from the place, huffing my dogs every day for four days to try to save my career. I I didn't, nobody talked to me about how many blacks they had on the roster. When I showed up, it wasn't like I was Jackie Robinson. It was like, oh, you got a good book. Yeah, I'll read it and see if I can help you. That's all I found. I wish I found all this other stuff, but I didn't. You know, I wished I found a lot of trouble when I went on book tours in the Deep South. I didn't. I found acceptance. So there's just a lot going on that I just feel that when they find the right Blacks to listen to, we all have to fall in line behind them because they're the only one who gets the mainstream microphone. And... A lot of us that were doing just fine if they just opened the market up for our books and opened distribution up for our books and gave us equal representation as a genre and perhaps not like as just some collection of cultures, uh, we would have done better. So more is more and more is better. And we don't need bifurcation of the same ideas. Yes, slavery is bad. Yes, Jim Crow sucked. Yes, we've climbed up through a lot of things. Yes, we still have problems. These shouldn't be the medium. These should be the message that the medium helps transmit and allow the medium to share all messages and you've done your job, but make the medium the message in this racial justice regard. And you really... Swing the pendulum back the other way for a little while until it comes swinging back harder. And man, you know, I just, I'm not hearing too much about the groups that everyone was trumpeting and trying to fix everything for two years before or one year earlier. Like, what kind of groups are you talking about? We still have so much to fix with respect to living wages. We still have so much with respect to the supply chain. We still have so much uh, uh, discrepancy in, 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 a, in, a, in a hiring scale as far as what it takes to maintain a career. And we have very little transparency in what our representation does for us in our genres. And everybody in genre fiction is hurting. And everybody in genre fiction isn't making money. Isn't making money at all. And scarcity... Breeds a lot of dark behaviors in ways in which, when there's more than enough, rightfully so, and equal representation, <laughs> people don't scrounge around for anything they can get and therefore don't rub along with each other the wrong way. And we just have some, we just have a lack of transparency and we have a lack of fidelity in the book business as it relates to genre fiction. And we can fix that by just being organized. But I don't, I don't feel it's fair to organize around ideals of racial limitation because I just didn't find any limitation. But maybe it's because I didn't go looking for any. I was just trying to get a book out.
0: Well, you're talking about things uh, that are going on today and rightfully so. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you set Elliot Caprice very firmly, you know, like half a century ago, uh, a little more than that. What was the reasoning behind that? What was the purpose of, of, of doing that? Is that just a time period that interests you, or did you feel like you could get your message across better uh, if you put it in that time period?
1: Well, that's that's the thing. And there's the distinction that I mean to draw between my work and work that responds to racial situations rather than just centers itself in its own voice and takes its chances like mine does, is I I, I only have what I have. Like, these are my grandparents. These are the stories about my uncles. Like, some of these guys are named after cousins in my life. It's my grandfather's story. It's how he made it from Thomas County, Georgia, you know, during the uh, Thomas County riots. And, you know, got burned out of one town as a two-year-old. and Wound up becoming the captain of two firehouses on the south side of Chicago as a 32-year-old. And, you know, World War II. And so these are things that give hope and rise to people because it's already in your history, it's already in your makeup. Now, I understand I got a little bit of a Black Siddhartha thing going on. I grew up on the South Side of Chicago, across from 95th and Halsted, you know, Obama's fateful corner, a church, and you know all of that, and you know it was an idyllic neighborhood, Washington Heights, and I was raised with a lot of culture. I mean. Carter G. Woodson was my public library, and it's still, to this date, the largest black history collection in the world. And I was just across the alley, man. And yeah, it was the library, so I never had to go home, you see. And so I've had it good. And then, you know, you grow up and you live your life, and, you know, you start venturing outside of your, your zone and your parents' protection, and then you realize, hey, man, not everyone's got it like I have it. And so I'm a, you know, I'm a storyteller, as is a lot of black guys on the south side of Chicago. So you got to have the really, really good stories because storytelling is how we bond and transmit information and how we establish a pecking order amongst friends. And so, you know, it's sort of like we're playing cards it's sort of like we're playing dominoes. It's sort of like we're all watching a football game together. But this is the way we relate with each other as men. So. You know, we, 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 we share our vulnerabilities through the song of speech and that's all I wanted to do, but it's not, you know, it's not black crime fiction. It's all, it's, it's just what I have, man. That's it.
0: (laughs) It's It's the story you're telling and it's your
1: story. And that's, uh, that's something different than a a broader category. It just doesn't, it just doesn't fit if you, it, it just doesn't fit. If you attempt to apply it after the fact to notions of lack, because I'm hoping to add richness to my writing with the research. And yeah, I could just tell you a few stories I I remember growing up or things that I saw myself or things that I, I could just tell them. But I do the research so that they're real for you, too, so that you may go read the same books I read and you may go get involved in the same stuff I've got involved. To get, you might like to find out where, where my point of view comes from, and you know I have a bibliography for you for that. Like it starts a conversation, and anything that starts a conversation, I'm sorry, it, it's not it, it's not lacking in anything. It's fertile, and as long as we have fertile conversation, we have means and power to fix what we are experiencing. So sometimes I'm a little lost about what the problem is. We're get, we're doing it. Let it. Let us do it. You know, if that makes sense.
0: It does make sense. As part of doing it, you uh, are instrumental in uh, a new publisher, um, not brand new. You've been here for a little while now, but uh, fairly new. Mm-hmm. Bronzeville Books. Um, what's What's the? It's not just another publisher. What's the creed? What's the purpose behind Bronzeville?
1: Firstly, I knew up front what I was walking into because uh, with the streaming and rights management and the development of little ideas that we get that we can't go to sleep until we get them out called our stories and now it's content. content and now it's you know it's it's you know properties and intellectual property i i knew the business was turning to that around the same time i showed up to my first crime fiction conference and i was just looking to do something else other than that having Lived and worked in in, uh, in Southern California in the, in the entertainment business for twenty years, and I, you know, I came for the quieter. I could have really started writing professionally anywhere, but I just I wanted to do it in something that I love to do, and that was mystery writing. And uh, you know, my favorite stuff was mystery and science fiction, and then nonfiction. And sometimes I'm afraid to write fantasy, but I'd be writing like Dungeons and stuff, the Dungeons and Dragons, so that's fun. And uh, but maybe one day I'll write a fantasy novel or something. But, uh, you know, anyway, I just, it was was quieter, it was gentler, and then by 2017, it's all about who can get you into Hollywood. And I'm keeping my mouth shut because I'm on vacation from Hollywood. I don't want to get involved in all that kind of stuff, man. I just, you know, the business is changing. Uh, You know, I step in and out when I'm able and, you know, I was having my little step out period when I was writing my novels. And then now all of a sudden it's about who's got a deal where and who's gone straight from having a novel to writing on some TV show. And I'm like, Oh my God, it's happening here. No, no. And before it got funky and before everyone started coming I kind of realized that none of this means anything if they're only ever taking the book from the top of the heap when we all punch ourselves out for notoriety and leaving the rest of us with a battered supply chain where nobody knows what to do with our books. If I don't fix that, then I won't be able to make my work as valuable as it may be for my grandkids once I die, you know. And so I founded Bronzeville as the idea where the independent mind and the independent thinker is always relegated to the ghetto. You know, I found three literary fiction writers, Nikki Dolson, Gail Massey, and Tasha Keeble, lamping around crime fiction, because in crime fiction, it was safe to be women with these ideas. And then they're turning in their manuscripts and I'm looking at the most beautiful literary fiction in the world and the reviews are coming back in and folks are saying this is amazing what were you doing selling it as crime fiction and it's just that well you know that's where people find acceptance in the fantasy in the approximation of life it's like it's okay if your black person is a superhero in fantasy because there's no chance of that happening in your reality it's okay If, you know, you know, a a black person has to, you know, watch a black girl get married to a white guy in some Disney thing, because, you know, that's just Disney. That could never happen in my house. It's like, man, come on now. We're all done with that. It's all over with. It's now time for us to clean this little ghetto up that they place us in. And, you know, we all can't be in New York and we... We all can't be in Hollywood, and we all can't be worth something to the big Hollywood chain, and we all can't get the big deal that puts us in every Barnes and Noble, but it doesn't mean we have to live like animals. And that's what they said in the neighborhood of Bronzeville back in the Great Migration, which is during the, the real hard whipping of the tale of the Depression. The economic value of life in America was so low, nobody could stop, find, find the time to tell a black person what they could or couldn't have. So we started just migrating the way the work was and they needed us. And yet they bombed out the South and sent all of its low end labor uh, to the North, but they didn't realize since they gave us them good Chicago public school educations, we'd become millionaires on our own. And so those folks weren't getting running water. Those folks weren't getting pavement. Those folks weren't getting city services. And so they built them for themselves. Went to City Hall and said, "Well, we already set it up. Now you take care of it with our tax dollar, or we could just tear it up again." And that's how the neighborhood, that's how the Black Belt, you know, which was the which was the worst part of the Chicago migration path, became Capital B Bronzeville and a symbol of Black pride and American pride and fascination from about 1923 to about 1952. And, you know, you got Lena Horne. She's the bronze Venus. Everybody's calling themselves bronze. You got Miss Bronze Beauty pageants all over the nation. Be, in between being colored and Negro, we were bronze for about 30 years. But that ideal of leave me alone and you don't want me to be in your reindeer games. There Ain't enough room for me and Walter Mosley on your shelves. And that's fine. I'm gonna go to these 35 independent bookstores and I'm gonna have my own thing and bye bye. Don't come looking for me, though, because I'm doing my own thing over there. And I done already fixed up my own thing for myself. I said, no, thank you. I need to clean up right underneath my own feet first. And that's what I did with Bronzeville. And everybody thinks it's about something it's not. It's not about race. It's not about segmentation. It's not about adding differentiation. It's about saying, hey, the way Danny writes and the way Danny thinks and the way Danny cares for people, you know, to whatever degree of effectiveness one may argue, is encapsulated in a company that has their ear out for what you're trying to do with your work. And when you are able to command the speech inside the mind of a human being with your work on the page, if you're really trying to get that person to come away with something, that's what authenticity is, nothing more. and If you authentically want your work to put something inside of the being of the person who reads it, then there's a very limited space and place and time for you to do that. Better you come do it with some folks who want the very best for themselves, too, enough to go give it to themselves if nobody else would. That's what being bronze is. You bronze it your damn self polish it you damn self that's all it is and it's working like it's really working and i'm very blessed i'm very happy there were moments especially during the pandemic where we took big hits and a lot of things went topsy-turvy but the fact that we're here and bronzeville lives and we're actually doing good things for a diverse number of people naturally i just gotta figure it's fertile and therefore, it, it's it's right to exist, and it just gonna, it's going to stay that way. Right now, we got titles. We might grow. We might have a lot more next year. But for right now, the ten or so that we have are doing really well, and that's because people actually see what we're doing. And I have often been told, you know, by by agents and managers and mom, you know, uh, well, you know, it doesn't really matter who other who else's name is on it. If your name is on it, you got to own it. You know, nobody ever bought a book for who the publisher was, but it doesn't mean that if people see what you're doing and they care that you care, that they wouldn't. So I try to run the company as if people care about what we're doing as much as what we're publishing and who we're publishing. Even if I, even if no one else does, I make certain I feel as if they do, and that's been working. And we're nationally known now. We got a little love in the New York Times for, you know, Les Edgerton. And we've gotten nationally reviewed across the board. And our authors are going on to do nice things for themselves. And that's what you want in a fertile publishing environment. And my current concern is just, am I able to help it grow and do the best I'm able to do to keep it going? But it it's here. And it's doing well. But... It's for everyone, but you know, you got to come with that real stuff, <laughs> you know.
0: Well, uh, it, helping it along is the new Elliot Caprice novel, A Spoon Coon. Mm-hmm. Folks, the, uh, the, the author is Danny Gardner. And, uh, hey, Danny, I want to thank you for coming on the show.
1: Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Um, All
0: right, folks, there you go. Danny Gardner, always very forthright, willing to talk, uh, entertaining, articulate, uh, thoughtful. And, uh, you know, when I first started this show and he agreed to come on it. Um, I thought that was, uh, uh, very supportive of him. You know, it was a brand new podcast. Uh, nobody had heard of it and uh, he didn't hesitate to come on and, um, and we had a tremendous conversation. I'd uh, encourage you to go back to that uh, second episode and give it a listen. Um, maybe excuse any of the production value issues that you might encounter, but the conversation is stellar and he has a lot of things to say. Uh, some of them funnier than hell. Uh, some of them, uh, quite serious and, and worth listening to. So as always, I enjoyed uh, having him on the show. Uh, Next episode uh, is another repeat performance. We're going to talk to Michael Poole, uh, who came on uh, back in April of 2019. It's episode 40, if you want to catch it, uh, talking about his book, Rose City. Uh, Since then, he's written a number of books, Throwing Off Sparks, um, and a Rick Malone novel, One Way Out. Um, And and he's going to talk about Rick Malone and One Way Out, but also about the new episode of A Grifter's Song, Rocky Mountain Lie. Uh, which, in addition to featuring Sam and Rachel, uh, has a little bit of a crossover with his detective Rick Malone as one of the point-of-view characters. So that is next episode on Wrong Place, Right Crime. As a Zafiro news for you. If you're listening to this the day it comes out or the day after, my short story collection Dead Even is currently free on Amazon. And the rest of the short story collections... Uh, no Good Deed, The Cleaner, and Sugar Got Low are all $0.99, cents, and the $0.99 cents ones will remain at that price uh, through Saturday. Uh, so pick those up if you're interested. If you're hearing this at a different time, sorry you missed the deal, but uh, you can always follow me on Facebook, Twitter, or my newsletter, uh, all of which you can link to through my website at Uh I'd like to say thank you to Danny for coming back on the show, Down Out Books for being a great sponsor, And to you, the listener, for once again firing up this podcast and uh, supporting it like you do, I really appreciate it. Michael Poole next episode. Until then, this is Frank Zafiro reminding you that sometimes you got to be in the wrong place to write crime.